Uh, my name is Tim. I get the honor of serving as one of the spiritual leaders here. And uh, as you just heard, man, our purpose here at Central is to help people find and follow Jesus. And, and we are imperfect people in progress. And so no matter where you are, uh, if you're in progress as well, maybe you've been going to church your whole life. Maybe, maybe you're just new, first time ever checking this out. Here's the reality. Uh, all of us are in progress. And so we just want to say welcome home. Uh, welcome to the family. And we're so glad that you have joined us. If you are fairly new, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been tuning in for months, uh, but we just haven't had the opportunity to connect. We would love to hear from you. Uh, so we'd love for you to text welcome. Uh, text one word welcome to this number on the screen, 408-944-5402. A couple cool things happen whenever you text us. Uh, one, one just allows us a chance to get to know you, and uh, that's the ultimate win. Uh, but, but also a couple other things happen. Uh, first, we make a donation in your honor to an incredible organization right here in the Bay who's, who's helping the hurting, feeding the uh, the hungry and speaking up for some people who can't speak for themselves. Incredible organization that we love to partner with called City Team. And we make a donation in your honor when you text us. But not only that, we got a free gift from us to you. It's called Right Now Media. It's the world's largest library of biblical content. And so no matter where, what you'd like to know more about the Bible or no matter where you're struggling today, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a relationship, maybe you just want to know more, how do, how do I pray? How, how do I study the Bible? Like it's kind of an overwhelming uh, process to begin to know where to begin. Um, and, and right now, media speaks to all those things. And so it's a free gift from us to you. You text us. Uh, we'll get some information. We'll email it out to you. We're not going to show up on your doorstep. We're not going to hunt you down. Uh, but we just want to have an open uh, chain of communication. So if we can serve you in any way, we want to be able to do that. So, so once again, welcome. Welcome to Central. Uh, I would just like to start off today with kind of a, a family conversation. Uh, this is an opportunity for us as a Central family to kind of kind of huddle up and have a little bit of a, a pep talk and, and some direction on where we're going uh, in these uncertain times and ever-changing times. I want to start by, by just sharing a verse that Jesus uh, prayed. Matter of fact, it was right before he went to the cross. Scholars tell us that this prayer that takes place in John 17 uh, was most likely a prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, he's about to go to the cross. He's talking to God about you. He's got you on his mind. And here's his prayer. He says, says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Like, he, he's praying that, that just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, that we, you, me, the church as a whole, we could be, we would be unified, we would be one. And he says this in verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be uh, brought to complete, complete unity. That's an interesting word there, complete unity, a literal translation of that Greek word. And some translations, if you're reading from the ESV or some other translations like that, they, they translate it this way, to be perfectly one. That, that's God's prayer. That's Jesus' hope for you and me, that we'd be perfectly one, united. And if we get that right, then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Like, like, like eternity is at stake when it comes to, to unity, according to Jesus' prayer. And, and I just know that unity has been under assault over these past 24 months like never before, never that I've experienced in my lifetime anyway. And I know in the weeks and days, months ahead, uh, unity of the church will continue to be under assault. And one thing I love about Central, one thing I love about this, this house, this, this gathering of believers uh, online as well as in person, is we've always anchored ourselves and kind of used as a plumb line this quote from St. Saint, Saint Augustine. And you know, for over 
over the past 80 years, this has kind of been the plumb line, and, and this is the way we, we make decisions and measure what's important. He said this, in essentials, we got to maintain unity. In non-essentials, we got liberty. In other words, we can have a conversation about it. We're not going to be dogmatic about it. But in all things, we're going to operate from a posture of, of love. And I say that to say this, there's a whole lot of things that are, are creating some wedges right now. And, and as California begins to, to reopen and get back to some normalcy, uh, I, I think there's some more opportunities for wedges. And I just want to try to head that off a little bit. And so I know some people watching online, super passionate, pro-vaccines. Others are anti-vaccines. Some are pro-masks. Some are anti-masks. Some are pro-San Francisco Giants. Some are pro-Dodgers. Like it's, there, there's a whole lot that, that could divide us. And I just want to say, let, let's, for the sake of unity, set aside some of those, those preferences, some of those things that are not essential for that which is most essential, and that is Jesus. And so let's, let's put our preferences in the back seat. Let Jesus take the driver's seat. Uh, I have some convictions about all those things. Just like I have convictions about St. Louis Cardinals being the number one baseball team. Just like I believe everyone should be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I mean, like, why wouldn't you? Uh, but I'm not going to be dogmatic about those things. I'm going to hold those in an open hand so we can allow love to be supreme. And so as we as elders and staff make decisions in the coming days, I would just ask for you to, to, to have a posture of, of unity if something's out of balance, if something seems wrong and you, you, you feel like, man, this is a, a mistake, we're wide open to conversation. You can always contact us. Uh, but, but for the sake of unity, let's allow that which is most important to be supreme. And that is the unity of the church, uh, to, to lift up the name of Jesus, to help people find and follow him. Because once again, that's the whole reason that we that we exist. And so I, I say all that to say this, for those of you who have been coming to our in-person gatherings, uh, starting next week, uh, registration for those in-person gatherings will no longer be required. And so you can just show up, you can bring your friends, family, no pre-registrations required, just come in and join us. We're, we're so excited uh, throughout these summer months to connect with you relationally and, and continue this series that we're in, Jesus Is, and we're gonna keep the main thing, the main thing. That sound good, church? All right, well, hey, let's pray before we jump into today's message as we continue our series, uh, Jesus Is. Well, God, we just thank you uh, for your love, for your radical grace, for, for your rescuing power, God, that changes lives. And God, I pray today that your word would go forth with power. I pray, God, that we would be an answer to your prayer, Jesus, that we would truly be one, just as you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are one, that we would, we would strive, we would work to maintain perfect unity as you desire, God. So help us, God, to set aside our preferences for that which is the highest priority, and that is to help people find you and follow you. God, would you strengthen your church to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, as I mentioned, we are in this series, Jesus Is, and here's been our, this has been our theme verse. And I think it's a timely series and a timely theme verse in the midst of everything that's going on, but it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and it says, says you'll remember, this is Paul writing to this church, and he's saying, you'll remember, friends, when I was with you, uh, I, I first came to you, I didn't come with an impressive and, and polished speeches or the latest philosophy, and, and we could come with impressive speeches. There's a lot of modern philosophies flying around out there, but we're going we're gonna to set those aside for that, which is the most important. And he says, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus, 
who he is, then Jesus, what he did, Jesus crucified. Whenever we talk about who Jesus is, a lot of things maybe come to your mind. A lot of things come to, to the mind of people around us. A lot of things come to the mind of our coworkers, our, our, our fellow students. And, uh, and we fill in that blank. Uh, Jesus is different things to different people. But our hope throughout this series is to anchor ourselves back into God's word and say, say God, what does your word say about who, who you are and what you desire from us? Many people know Jesus by his real name, Jesus. Uh, but some people know him by his nickname. And Jesus does have some nicknames that, that speak to his attributes of who he is, uh, speak to his character, what he does, and the way that, that we can relate to him. And nicknames are kind of fun. Uh, nicknames, they, they do a couple things. Nicknames show endearment to that individual, but they also speak to characteristics of that individual. I, I remember growing up, some of my best friends uh, were, were uh, Elijah, uh, Leroy and Clarence, and, uh, and, and their grandma gave them nicknames because of things that they did and, and things that spoke to who they were, and so their nicknames were, I've always known them as, as Tay-Tay, Pancake, and Stanky, and you can guess why Stanky got that name. He, he earned it. Uh, one of my uh, first small group I ever joined, a, a men's group, there's about four of us, uh, but one of them, he was a really strong dude, like he was a running back uh, for the local college and, and just lifted weights all the time, and just he was shredded. His name was Roosevelt Hampton. Uh, so we either called him Rose or we called him Blue. Uh, now he got the name Blue, you're probably thinking B-L-U-E, but we called him B-L-E-W, Blue. Uh, because after he stopped playing football, he, he worked at this correctional facility behind a desk, had this like desk job and, and living a sedentary lifestyle like Blue, he, he blew up. And so we started calling him Blue because our boy, our boy blew up. Now ladies, you probably don't call each other names based on their waistline, but, but fellas, we're kind, of, we're kind of ruthless when it comes to that. So I've only known him as, as blue, but, but names mean something. It's a term of endearment. Uh, my buddies, their grandma gave him those names because she loved him. And we as friends, we called him those names because we were close to him. But you don't, you don't like walk up to a stranger and say, man, you're, you blew up. Like you, you got a big, you don't do that. Like you don't say like, hey, what's up, fat back? You don't do that. Like that's wrong. Uh, you don't walk to someone and say, hey, what's up? Chief? You know, you, you just don't, don't call people nicknames unless you know them. It's a term of endearment, but it also describes something about them, just as it did with my boy Roosevelt. And I think for a lot of people, we know Jesus by his given name. We know Jesus as Jesus, and sometimes that can mean he's distant. Sometimes that can mean he's, he's cold, he's far off, he's all-powerful, but not involved in our daily lives. And, and in Matthew 21, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, we read about Jesus' his given name. And it says this, that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. This would have been a very common name in this day and age. It's a very common name in, in, in our day and age as well. And you give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from from their sins. I was uh, at a restaurant uh, a few weeks ago with a buddy and, uh, and our server's name was, was Jesus, it was Jesus. But every time he'd bring something to the table, thank you, Jesus. Get, get, some, get some water, thank you, Jesus. Get a plate of food, thank you, Jesus. And there's, the waiter was having fun with us, we were having fun and we made sure to tip him well, but, but it's a very common name. It was a common name then, common name today. But Jesus had a nickname. And his nickname, one of his nicknames, found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and it says this, the virgin will be with child and they'll give, him, they'll give birth to a son, and you will call him. Here's the nickname because it's not only a term of endearment, but it describes who he is. 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. And for some of you watching, here's the tension, because you know Jesus, like you've heard of him. You could explain characteristics of him. Uh, you know things about him, but he's kind of distant, and maybe not too, too involved in your day-to-day life, but you just need to know today that, that he desires for you to know him as Emmanuel, to be the God who's with you, who walks with you, who talks with you, who, who, who does life with you. Matter of fact, his desire for you would be for you to be able to say, Jesus is, he's my best friend. And that's what we've titled this message because I just believe that's what God desires for you. Uh, matter of fact, he, he, in John 1.14, it says this, that, that Jesus left all the glory of heaven and the word, it became flesh and it made its dwelling among us. Like he came, he came close to us. And when we think about Jesus, most of us think about Jesus as like teaching on a hillside or like uh, performing miracles or uh, multiplying loaves and fishes to feed thousands or, or healing the sick or raising the dead or, or preaching this great message that we now know as the gospel. But, but Jesus didn't start his public ministry until the age of 30. And at that, he only taught for three years. So I think a lot of our modern art has, has it wrong. Because for 30 years, Jesus was just, just doing life. For the first 30 years, he was experiencing life as you and I know it. He was being human. He was being a person. He had divine power and authority, but the Bible says he didn't even exercise it until after he was 30 years old at this wedding in Cana that we talked about week one of this series. And so week one of this series, we gave you a, a $5 theological term called the, the, the doctrine of first things. And we talked about that week one. And here's another uh, term you probably wouldn't hear unless you've gone to Bible college or seminary, but it's, it's this theological term or doctrine of identification. And the whole reason that Jesus lives 30 years just as a normal, normal human existence is to be able to identify with you in your human existence, to identify with you and your, your weakness and your temptation and, and your challenges that you face in life. Uh, but not only that we could identify, he could identify with us, but so that we could identify with him. In a world that's drowning in identity issues, isn't it nice to know that Jesus stepped out of eternity into time to become a human so that not only could he identify with you, but you could anchor your identity back into him and allow what he says to be true of you, to be where you anchor your security and self-worth. Matter of fact, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 says this. It says, says, that's why they needed to enter, he needed to enter into every detail of our human existence. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help is needed. Listen, he's experienced it. He identifies with you. And so now he's the perfect candidate to help you where help is, where help is needed. He wanted to make sure that he could identify with your pain, identify with your rejection, identify with your confusion, identify with your celebrations, identify with your seasons of joy. He'd be able to identify with him all. Now, many people outside the church, many people inside the church only see Jesus as like this, this moral teacher, envision him, him on the cross, or, or think of him somewhere in heaven, like far, far away. But my hope today is that you would know Jesus as your best friend. The one who experienced it all now invites you to know him and walk with him 
through it all. And Jesus understands. That's what I'm trying to say. He understands. Uh, not only is God like Jesus, the Bible uses, here's another $5 word, he's omniscient. He's omniscient, which simply means that he is infinitely aware, understanding, and has insight into what you're, do, you're going through. Like he, he's all-knowing. Not only does he know it cognitively, but he's, he's stepped into it and he's experienced it firsthand as well. So think of it this way, like if someone has cancer, you know, like if you've had cancer, you can relate, you can minister, you can empathize with people who are going through it on a level that someone like me who hasn't had cancer can't even relate to because you remember the day they put in the port. Like you remember the day you got the diagnosis. You, you, you remember the day that you took a, a brush through your hair and you got, you got chunks of hair out as you lost it and the emotion you felt. You, you remember the moment. And because you remember the moment, you can empathize, you can minister, you can help people going through that in a way that the others of us just can't. And I'm saying that Jesus has experienced everything you're going through so that he can empathize, minister, and help where help is needed. The first thing, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, uh, if you're online, you can just go to our homepage and scroll down to message notes. Or if you're watching live in the chat, you can just click on those message notes and you can, you can follow along. But here's the first fill in the blank. The first fill in the blank is that, that he understands relationships. Like Jesus, he, he understands relationships. And a lot of our tension, a lot of our pain that we experience in life is relational pain. And, and I'm just saying Jesus understands it. In Mark uh, 6, 3, it talks about his family. One of the few verses that talks about his, 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 his family here on, on earth. And, and people are, are confused about who he is because they're like, why is he doing this? Isn't, isn't this the carpenter? Like, doesn't he just work with his hands for a living? Who does, he, who does this guy think he is? Like, isn't this Mary's son? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, like Jesus was, was born of a virgin. He wasn't conceived with, with Mary and Joseph, but Mary was pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph have other kids. And here they're listed, uh, James, Joseph, Judas, and aren't, he's even got sisters. Aren't his sisters here with us as well? And, and relationally, Jesus was m misdiagnosed. He, he was very confused. Isn't this just a normal dude? And that had to hurt because this God who created everything that we know, that, that our minds still can't even fathom, that we're still discovering new things about in this creation, the God who created all that steps out only to be mistreated, to say, wait, aren't you just, aren't you a carpenter? He understands the relational pain, but not only that, these family members, they, they didn't believe him either. It says this in Mark 3.21, it says, when his families heard this, and what did they hear? They, they heard he was driving out demons, like he's healing people, and the family comes along, they're like, I'm sorry, like Jesus, he's talking to spirits again, like uh, worse, he didn't sleep much last night, and, and they, they try to take charge of him. In other words, they, they try to physically like remove him from the situation, and like very apologetic, no doubt to everyone around him, for they said that he is out of his mind. Imagine that. The God who created these people come now and they're like trying to tell him what to do. You've lost your mind. They didn't believe in his call. They didn't believe in his competency. They thought he was crazy. His, the people that should be supporting him the most believed in him the least. And I think that highlights one of the greatest reasons that the resurrection 
actually took place, that Jesus really did die on the cross and he really did rise again because that list of people we just saw, James, Judas, those dudes ended up writing a book in your Bible. So they went from saying, Jesus, you're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about to saying, you are the son of God. I'll lay down my life. And matter of fact, they did. James was killed for following Jesus. His brother, Judas, wrote the book of Jude, died as a follower, a martyr of Jesus for the cause of Christ. They went from saying, he's out of his mind to saying, you're out of your mind if you don't follow him. What a, what a declaration of the reality, confirming that Jesus is who he said he was. They lay down their, their lives for him. But not only does he understand the family dynamics, but his best friend betrayed him. Peter betrayed him when he needed him the most. Disciples scattered in his moment of need. I'm just saying he understands relational issues and he can relate to you. He's perfectly qualified because he's experienced himself, but he's also walked billions of people through relational challenges and he wants to walk you through that today. Second thing, he understands life. Just, I mean, just everyday, everyday life. You know, in Jewish culture, at the age of 12, uh, young men would go and apprentice and work in the family business. And for uh, Jesus's household, his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. So at the age of 12 to the age of 30, 18 years, Jesus would have been working with his hands, doing carpentry stuff. Like, so the art should probably more adequately depict Jesus, not as this blonde with like flowing hair and blue eyes, but more as a carpenter with cut up calloused hands and a tool belt and, and some steel toed boots. Just a, just a dude who worked. Worked hard. He knows what it's like to set your alarm clock and get up early. He knows what it's like to, to have a customer say, you didn't do a good enough job and I'm not going to pay for you. He, he knows what it's like to try to chat, track down invoices. He knows what it's like to, to be on a daily grind doing work and doing life. Because for 18 years, that's what he did. Three times longer than his public ministry that we, we pro project on him and say, that's Jesus. No, for three times that amount of time, he was just... Normal dude experiencing life so he could understand life as you and I know it. Hebrews 4.15 says this. It says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. Like he can sympathize with you wherever you are in life because he's, he's walked through it. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, uh, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet with, without sin. Like he's, he's able to sympathize with you today and he knows a way to navigate life. He understands. He understands relationships. He understands life. And third, he, he understands pain. He understands pain. I think probably the greatest pain beyond physical pain is emotional pain. Uh, it's mental pain. And, and Jesus no doubt experienced that. Isaiah 53.3 says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow. Like he knows what it's like to cry himself to sleep. It, we think about this just taking place like on the cross and leading up to it, but, but, but think about his life. Like, on the, like kids are vicious. If you doubt kids are vicious, go to the playground and listen to what kids say to each other. Like the sweetest kids uh, in the moments of competition, like they lash out and say stuff that's uncharacteristic of them. And Jesus, here he is, this, this boy who's born and, People don't know who his dad is. It's like, well, it's not Joseph. He's married out of wedlock. Then they probably had a name for that. And they, they probably called him that name. He was familiar with, with sorrow. He was familiar with, 
with suffering. Like he knows what it's like to feel rejected, to feel emotional pain, to be, be picked on, to be bullied. And even though he was a, a man's man, he still took shots. But not only does he know emotional pain and relational pain, he knows unprecedented physical pain. And I think about God, like Jesus there with God the Father, and they're outside space and time, and they, they see eternity. And, and I think Jesus, as he's navigating this, he's saying, no, no, right, right there, that's when I need to come to earth. That's when I need to come, when capital punishment is at its worst. I need to come to earth where before they execute you, they, they rip the flesh off your back from the, the shoulder blades all the way down to the back of the kneecaps. That's when I need to come, Father, because then I'll, that'll show them how much we love them. I need to come whenever, whenever they nail you to a cross and you die from suffocation after being brutally executed and humiliated publicly. That's, I need to come to, to that moment in time when, when execution is at its worst that that humanity will ever know. Because, Father, if I come in 2021, it's, it's probably just a shot, a lethal injection. That, that probably won't show the full extent of our love for them. But let me come here and show them the full extent of our love. I mean, he experienced pain emotionally and physically like none can imagine. And so every time you sense pain, every time you get headaches, every time you, you're having anxiety, every time you experience that pain, I'm just saying he's perfectly equipped to help where help is needed because he's experienced it firsthand. He understands. As Isaiah 53.5, it describes it this way. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And I say all that to say this. He's perfectly qualified to be your best friend. And that's what he desires. I don't, when you think about Jesus, I don't know if you think of like, best friend. I don't know if you think of like he even wants to be my friend. Maybe you think like he's in heaven like waiting to blast you for all the dumb stuff you've done. He's, that's a wrong image of him. He desires relationship with us. He wants to know you. Matter of fact, Proverbs 18.23 says this, uh, not only does he desire to be your best friend, but it says a man of many companions comes to ruin. And you know this, right? Like if you've got a whole lot of friends, on one hand that's awesome, but on the other hand, you've got a whole lot of people that are going to let you down. Because people let us down. But you need to know this. There is a friend who sticks closer than any brother. And Jesus just desires to be that for you. Be your, your best friend. So here's three responses. Three responses to this message that I want all of us to take hold of today and, and apply to our life. Three responses. If you're taking notes, uh, make sure you write these down. If you're not taking notes, make sure you write these down. Here we go. Uh, the first one is this. Jesus, make Jesus your best friend. Let's just, let's just camp out here for a minute. As we embark on this, this summer season, at the beginning of this summer season, what if you just made this, this conscious decision to say, you know what, this summer, my one objective is to make Jesus, I'm just gonna make Jesus my best friend. I'm telling you, this will be the best summer of your life. You're going the most daring adventure you've ever gone on. Here's what, what, what Jesus says in, in John 15, 15. He's talking to his disciples, but I think it applies to us here today. He says, says, I no longer call you servants because servants, a servant does not know what his master, doesn't know his master's business. He's like, but, but I'm bringing you in close. I, wanna, I want more than servanthood. 
And let me just pause there because everyone who sees Jesus gets a glimpse of Jesus for who he is. They take the posture of a servant. It is a natural response when we see him for who he is. But beyond that, he invites us to go beyond that because he invites us into his, his father's work, into his mas- the master's business. He says, instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. And listen, he wants to make known to you the heart of the Father. He wants to speak to you about things that no, no other friend can talk to you about. He, he wants to know you on a very personal, relational level. And, and here's a thought to think about too. Like Jesus had servants. Before he came to earth, he didn't come to make servants because he had, had millions, thousands upon thousands of angels who are ministering spirits. They're servants. They serve him day and night. So he didn't come to create more servants. He wants something beyond that for you. He wants to, I don't know if you thought about Jesus being your friend, but he thinks about you that way because he wants you to know the master's master's business. There's another interesting passage in Matthew chapter seven. It's not on the screen. It's not in your notes, but but maybe write it down. And I I encourage you to read it at some point this week because it's it's a passage that's shocking. Not only does Jesus want, want you to be his friend, not only do you, should you make Jesus your best friend, but matter of fact, it seems like, according to scriptures, all of eternity hangs in that decision, hangs in the balance of really knowing God personally. And that's why one of our, our core values around here is that you would know God, not just know stuff about him, but you would know him personally. Because in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story about, uh, about these, these people at the end of the age, like it's the judgment time. And, and Jesus tells them this, he says, many, not just like a couple, not just a few, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, like didn't we, didn't we drive out demons in your name? And in your name, didn't we like prophesy and speak on your behalf? And in your name, didn't we like, like heal people and see the miraculous? Didn't we do that? And Jesus says these shocking words that, that kind of haunt me for you, haunt me as a pastor. Because I'm like, God, let them get it. God, help me to get it. Help us not just to know stuff about you. Help us not just to do stuff for you, but God, help us to know you. Because Jesus' response to them was, even after they've done all this stuff, he said, I, I never knew you. And he says, away from me, you evildoers. They knew him on a Sunday kind of a flow. They knew him on a religion kind of a flow. But, but Jesus is putting an exclamation point on this statement. He's not looking for religion from you. He's looking for relationship with you. And the invitation, from, from I believe, from Scripture and from God himself is to just make Jesus your best friend. And you're never going to find a better friend than him. And if you're going to make him your best friend, the second point is you've got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. We're going to make Jesus our best friend. We're going to we're going to talk to him. And I want you to think for a moment. This is maybe a fun question to have with a buddy or, or some family over lunch, or, or next time you go out to uh, someone with coffee. Just say, man, if you could have thirty minutes of time with anyone in the world, currently living or or deceased, uh, past, present, future, maybe, uh, who would you want to talk to? Thirty minute window. Maybe Elon Musk, uh, maybe, maybe Michael Jordan, maybe Steve Jobs, maybe Jane Austen, maybe Rosa Parks, but whoever that person is that comes to mind, you, you think about what you would do to clear your calendar to meet with them. Like, <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would put everything aside to have, you know, a conversation with some of those folks. But I also want you to think for a moment, 
that the God who created those individuals, the God who, who gave them the brilliant minds to think up what they did, to, to have the influence and to change the trajectory of, of history like they did, the, the people, the God who gave them the dreams, you know, to be able to project and change the, uh, the world as we know it, the God who supersedes those individuals desires to talk to you. Like he's, he's giving you an open invitation to put a slot in your calendar to meet with him. And he wants to talk to you about some stuff. And if we're going to make him our best friend, then, then man, what an invitation that is. Because yes, Jesus is all powerful. Like yes, he did create the cosmos. And yes, we are just scratched around on this little ball that we call earth. But, but in, in the midst of all the magnitude of God, in the midst of the awesomeness of God, in his, in his sovereignty, in his, in his divine power, in his rich love towards you, he desires to meet with you, to be friends with you. And you just need to know whenever you make that appointment, whenever you take time to talk to him, he's not going to turn you away. He's not going to bring up all the issues of your past. Here's what you can, here's what you can, you can bet whenever you talk to him. Hebrews 4.16. Here's, here's what the Bible says you can experience. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. What, he, what he's talking about before this verse is, is, is the magnitude of God, how awesome he is, but also that he can relate, like he can understand. He, he knows what you're going through. He knows how hard it is. He, he's been a human before. He knows the temptations you're facing. And therefore, let us, let us go to him, the throne of grace, with, with confidence so that, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Whenever you talk to Jesus, here's what you can anticipate. You can anticipate mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is withholding from someone what they rightfully deserve. Like I've done a lot of dumb stuff in my life, not like far off past. Like I'm talking like yesterday, I've done some dumb, I did dumb stuff. But when I come to God today, here's what I, he's not gonna treat me like my sins deserve. He's gonna give me some mercy. Aren't you thankful for that church? And not only that, but he's gonna give you grace unmerited favor. He's going to give you blessings that you did nothing to earn. He's going to help you with some grace, some favor, giving you, giving someone, this means giving someone what they, they don't even deserve it, but I'm going to give it to them anyway. I'm going to give them some grace. And then he's going to give you some help. Help is the act of giving what will benefit or assist. Like he's going to give you what will benefit or assist. In other words, it could be aid assistance. He, he's going to bring comfort. He's going to give you a hand. He's going to give you a lift. He's going to provide relief. He's going to give you support. When you go to Jesus, you, you need to make him your best friend, but you need to talk to him. When you talk to him, you're going to get mercy, grace, and help in your time of need. And then finally, third point, because you made him your best friend, because you're talking to him, here's the, the final invitation. Just trust him with your life. Trust him with your life. Like he is the God who created the universe. Like he is all-knowing. He has walked billions of people through the very situation that you're processing right now. He, you can trust him. He's got wisdom of the ages. Trust him with your life. John 1.12 says this, but to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. What a promise. And here's what you need to do. All they needed to do was to trust him to save him. Just trust him. Psalm 37, five, commit everything you do to the Lord. Check it out. Trust him and he will help you. 
We're going to make Jesus our best friend this summer. We're going to, today we can make that commitment. Jesus, I want you to be my best friend. If we're going to make a commitment, God, of all the people I could talk to, of all my appointments I got coming up, I'm going to clear some space in my calendar because I just need to talk to you. And then I'm, I'm going to trust you. Some situations going on where I'm trying to cling for control, but God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with everything in my life. We've talked about it. We've studied God's word today, and now it's our joy to apply it. So I want to talk to three different audiences that are watching this today. You, you, you are, you, you don't mean, might be like, don't put me in a box, don't put me in a category. I, I, I respect that, but you are one of these three. Uh, either one, you, you are a person who, who knows Jesus, not just as, as a distant deity, but as Emmanuel, the God with us. He walks with you, your best friends. You have continual conversations with him throughout the day. And today, your best next step, your response to this would be just to tell him how thankful you are for him. I don't know about you, but, but for the people that are closest in my life, sometimes it's just nice to hear from them how much that relationship means. And I think for you, your best next step would be, Jesus, thanks for being my best friend. You mean the world to me. Other group of people, maybe you, you know God, like you, you know stuff about Jesus, like you've committed your life to him, but your flow of life has gotten off and your relationship status wouldn't be BFF today. Maybe you know stuff about him, but, but, but not walking with him daily. And today would be an invitation to get back into that flow, to say on a daily basis, I, I need you, Jesus, not to be a distant deity, but to be Emmanuel, to walk with me. I want to process life. I want to talk to you when I'm hurting. I, I want you to be the first person I talk to when I face a situation I don't understand. I'm going to recommit to that today. And that would be your best next step. And third group of people, maybe you're watching this and you say, you know what, I don't even, I don't even know Jesus. I, I haven't committed my life to him. And your best next step today would be to start a relationship with the one who laid down his life for you. Like he, he loves you so much. He left all the glory of heaven to come to earth, to, to, to take on the frailty of our human existence to live a perfect life, die a brutal death, rise again. And because he's alive, he can bring new life into your life, into your situation. You say, well, how do I experience that? Well, it, it begins with, the Bible uses the word repent. And that simply means to turn. It means, man, I, I, you've been calling the shots in your life. I've been calling the shots in my life. Now I'm turning saying, you know what, God, you call the shots in my life. Whatever you say, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna come under your leadership and let you call the shots. You're gonna, you're gonna sit on the throne of my life. It's no longer gonna be me. And then, and then next, you confess and believe. And the Bible says this, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, this amazing promise, you will be saved. Saved from what? Uh, saved from hell when you die? Yeah, that's part of it. But beyond that, saved from separation from the creator of the universe right now. Because today you can be saved from that separation and begin to make Jesus your best friend, to know him personally, to walk with him daily, and to love him throughout your life. So if that's you, you want to begin that relationship, it'd be my joy to lead you in a simple prayer of commitment to him today. So if that's you, let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for loving us. God, I thank you for sending Jesus to this earth, lived a perfect life. I believe that. He died on a cross, a brutal death. But it was in that moment that, that he paid the penalty for my sin, for all my mistakes, past, present, and future. And I believe that, God. And I believe it didn't just end on the cross, but he went into a grave, but didn't stay there. He rose again. 
And Jesus, today, because you're alive, I'm asking you to come alive in my heart, in my life. Give me a fresh start, a new beginning. I want to make you my best friend. I want to talk to you every day, have a relationship with you. I want to know you. And God, I'm going to apply your word to my life the best of my ability so I can become the man or woman you created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.